Welcome to the BizOwner360 podcast, where we explore a variety of topics to help you grow your bootstrapped business. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Each week, I have a conversation with leading experts in the areas of growth, execution, leadership, wellness, productivity, and others. This is not the typical podcast. We have conversations that dig deep into each of the topics we cover. The goal is to provide you cutting edge but proven tactics and strategies to grow your business. The BizOwner360 podcast is now recognized as a top five international podcast and growing. My guest today is Alex Batdorf. She is a three-time entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of Get Shit Done, the superpower scaling sidekick supporting women entrepreneurs and gaining traction to scale their companies on their own terms. This was a high-energy interview where we share and discuss how we get more shit done. Alex's passion is contagious and unfiltered. This was by far one of my favorite conversations that I've had on the podcast. Sit back, enjoy, and learn. And by the way, I've launched a daily insider newsletter. I'm looking for a few more beta testers. Drop me a note if you're interested. I find the top articles and stories so you don't have to. Now, on to Alex and the interview. Hey, good morning, Alex. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Brett. Excited to be um, here. My pleasure. I've definitely been looking forward to this conversation. I think we met briefly at the end of last year, so I've been ready to uh, get you on the podcast, share your story, share your mission. But before we dig into it, uh, maybe share with the audience a little bit about your background, what you're working on today, and then we can we can get into what you're you're doing now. God, okay. So I am a product of my father, definitely his child, because I could talk for days. So I'm going to try to condense this down. Um, so I am a three-time entrepreneur. Literally, the only career I've had is building businesses. And thank goodness, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. Um, so every therapist, coach, whatever says I would be an awful employee. So I just need to keep down the entrepreneur path so I, I'm not um, a pain in the ass to someone else's organization. Um, but really how I got into this, I wasn't the kid that had a lemonade stand or delivered newspapers or anything like that. I was the kid that, you know, when adults would ask me what I wanted to do when I grew up, quote unquote, I told them I wanted to rule the world. Um, and my my mom used to be like, oh, God, they're going to think my kid's crazy. And what I meant, you know, at that age was before I even knew the or the language around it was impact. How can I make an impact? To me, that was ruling the world. And there was a, a variety of experiences that led me there. So, you know, fast forward when I got to undergrad, that's when I got the entrepreneurial bug. Um, I'm a huge fan of Malcolm Gladwell around context and, you know, ebbs and flows happening in, so in society. So um, the context of my undergrad experience was, I got into undergrad in 2008. So one of the worst economic recessions happening. And, you know, at that point, and I think a lot of people who are in my generation or around my age had the sentiment where we felt like we were fed a lie is that, hey, you'll be safe if you just go get that fancy undergrad degree piece of paper. Da, 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 da. And while I would never discredit the, the, the value I got in my education, I wouldn't take it back for the world but it does not protect you from an economic crisis. It just doesn't. And so you started seeing so much innovation happening um, in the other context was you had 
um, the the rise of mobile phones, um, smartphones. And there was just this really interesting mecca of innovation of amongst this group of founders at my undergrad. Fast forward now, there's like a fund attached to my undergrad school. But I think our year, the graduating class of 2012, we were the ones that really facilitated it because we saw that we got into school. A lot of the alums that were coming out were having a hard time getting a job. And we were thinking, well, how can we make sure we have some control over what happens to us when we have to leave this place in four years? And so my first two companies, um, so I launched my first company at 19. Um, it was think of the real, real tradesies of the world. So the fashion resale markets with the level of cryptocurrency before we even had the, the language for cryptocurrency. Um, that was a complete failure though. Um, I, I learned that a, I was a 19 year old CEO that didn't know shit. And then B not just going into to business with your friends and trying to find roles for them, unless they're truly passionate. But I, I found that um, other than recruiting my CTO, who was fabulous, um, my, my other recruits who were friends, really good intentions, um, they weren't really as invested as I was. So fast forward, you know, I learned a lot from that. I learned how to pitch my first investors successfully, so on and so forth. That led me to my next company where an advisor and mentor to this day introduced me to my former co-founder at ZipFit, which was based in Chicago. So I lived in Chicago for about 10 years and I started my first two companies there. Um, and we were an e-commerce company, um, that was in the denim space. So we, we were able to develop algorithms, matched consumers with their best fit, and then we customized it in-house and shipped it out, which was amazing about this model. We, we went on to raise venture capital, um, successfully. And, you know, in most cases, investors do not like investing in, products. Um, it's a capital intensive typically. Um, and on top of that, it, it's much higher risk. So what they loved about our model is that we didn't make our own jeans. We partnered with brands existing on the market because the biggest problem we saw was like, well, the return rates online are really high. If we can start with one category that's like has high return rates and do that well, we can basically Amazon it, <laughs> meaning we can start here. What is our books? And then templatize that across other categories. So let's start with jeans because so everyone wears jeans more, most people. And a lot of people say it's a sucky experience. So we started there, but we partnered with other brands. We only took in um, samples. So we had samples within our showroom, but for the most part, we would plug into the brands and know what their inventory was. So if we could get the fit right with the consumer, we knew, hey, here are the other colors that had that same fit material, so on and so forth, because there's so many intricacies when it came to fit. It had a lot to do with what type of material. So you can't tell someone that 100% cotton is gonna fit the same as something that's really stretchy. Absolutely not. And consumers didn't know that. So we took that, that guessing work out of it and it was incredible. I mean, the average return rate online, I still think it is to this day, was 40%. And we got it down to 6%. And we customized it. Plus, on top of that, we still allowed free returns up to 30 days. And people were like, oh, my God, especially when we talked to um, investors, like, are you crazy? Like, why Why would you offer free returns if you customize it? We're like, well, because we typically get the fit right first. 
And of the very small percentage that needed to do a return, 80% of that could be resold. So for the most part, it, it worked really well. Yeah, it worked well. And we had big visions of how can we transform the the, the space in general. But um, for a multitude of reasons, um, and we can probably get into this later, I decided to step down um, and move towards um, more of the, you can say social impact space. But while I was scaling that company, I realized there was two really loud narratives around women entrepreneurship. One was, well, look at all these women starting companies. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Looking at the data, women are starting companies twice as much as men. Um, but then the other narrative is, well, it's so hard for women. If she just had an investor, all of her problems would be solved. And I'm just like, well, that's complete bullshit as someone who had self-funded and had done the investor route um, and realized like, no, what's systemically happening here? And, you know, my undergrad was in sociology. So I think in systems and context all day and how do you connect the dots? So I became obsessive with it and I spoke with, you know, thousands of hours with hundreds of women and then dug into the data. And what we found was more startling than the 2% of funding going to women was actually 4%. And meaning that women own nearly half of companies in the US, but our companies bring in about 4% of total business revenues. The math doesn't add up, right? From a business perspective. And so we saw that there was a much bigger opportunity versus telling every fucking founder to go fundraise, which yeah, 2% of funding goes to women, but that's less than that's 2% of less than 1% that goes to anybody. Venture capital is a wonderful vehicle if it's the right vehicle for your business, but it's not the right vehicle for the majority of businesses. What is the right vehicle for every business is revenue. And so when we looked at, well, how do we help women move through this revenue pipeline? And so that's where Get You Done came from is, you know, taking my collection of experiences and my network, um, which we now have, I mean, over 300, whether it's seasoned operators, entrepreneurs, or investors supporting our women founders in moving through that pipeline towards building scalable companies. Because systemically, and the, the, the justice warrior in me is like, entrepreneurship is such an amazing opportunity to scale generational impact, but women aren't able to tap into it as much if we're stuck at 4%. So, so that's kind of a a long-winded way of me saying I was going to keep it short, but not keeping it short. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome and very well said, and you know, so much, you know, value with within that that process. And you know, I kind of took a a longer route to kind of get to the same place, right? I kind of grew up in the the corporate world. You know, you get paid, you get insurance, you get benefits, you do your job, you move up. But I always had kind of bounced back and forth between the the corporate and the startup world. And, but it was always kind of not encouraged. The, the startup part was never encouraged, right? For either mentors or whatever it was, hey, they're safe. You take care of your family. This is what you do it. But, and I think you've talked about this before, man, you can't, you can't get that generational wealth. You can live a nice life, but man, you're working for someone else. I think everybody now realizes that how inefficient a lot of those corporate jobs are. And it, there's just, Maybe some people do get satisfaction from, but I haven't very, met very many people that that actually have. So it took me a couple decades longer to to kind of head down this path. And you know, we share a passion for the for the stats side of this. And you know, one of the things is I moved from believe it or not, corporate to management consulting, then into the the startup world was I was planning on heading down into the VC space. And like, how do I 
help these companies that are stuck between, you know, a half a million and a million revenue get to 10. Because there's just a lot of really good companies that just lose the traction. I know you're big on the traction. They can't get there. But then I got really disenfranchised with the, the VC side of it, right? Everybody celebrates the funding. Everybody celebrates the raise. How much revenue? How big is the company? Doesn't matter, right? Perception's reality. If somebody's giving you money, you've, you've succeeded. I'm like, you know what? I don't. So I've, I kind of shifted my focus now to the bootstrap version of that that said, hey, and I think you've said it a couple of times, raise when it's right and not because you think you have to. So I think yeah. it's it's such a, a powerful mission that you're on. And I think, you know, it's it's long overdue. And I think the world's heading this way. Whether you want it or you want to work in a corporate job or not, you could be a company of one. We're gonna we're all gonna have our own little companies, right? Whether we realize it or not. So I think the more you can empower and teach and educate and help these people get through the process, it's gonna it's gonna help everybody in the long run. Oh, absolutely. And you actually did the path that initially my mom was very, very scared. She, she <laughs> very type A, I, I am in my own ways too, but was like, oh my God, when I told her I was going to be an entrepreneur, she was like, oh my God, Alex, we need more black doctors and lawyers <laughs> because her generation is very much so that was success to them. Um, and you're absolutely right when it comes to, you know, I don't really blame the founders as much as the ecosystem and the narratives we tell. And a, a lot of it is around, well, success is by these numbers, but no one's really talking about why they matter and who it applies to. So I think it's on both the revenue and the, the fundraising side. On the fundraising side, it's just like, look how much they raise. And no one understands, well, why did that founder choose that path? Um, and, and why does this fundraise matter? Also, how much do they actually own of that business? Um, that's a whole different story. But on even the revenue side, you know, you can have people that glorify revenue. Revenue doesn't mean you have a good a good business model, though. And so for you could have a lot of revenue, but have just as many expenses. It's not sustainable. So I think it's really important for us to talk about how do we create healthy, sustainable, scalable businesses where you can still grow and get massive. But you need to be intentional about how we get there because just throwing a lot of shit at the wall isn't that powerful if you're not being intentional about what do we lean into? Because at some point you have to stop throwing. It's like a food fight when you were a kid. Everyone's throwing stuff, but you don't really know where it's coming from and where it's landing and what's sticking. Right. And so it, same thing with startups. When people are like, just throw a lot of shit at the wall. Let's go and hustle. And I'm like, oh, my God, let's stop. Let's stop with the bro culture. Yeah, throw some things at the wall, but you need to be very intentional about how you're doing it and then learn what to lean into. That's an art and a science. It's not this glorified hustle culture. Yeah, no, 100% agree with you on that. And, you know, one of the things you talk about a lot as well, well, you mentioned a little bit, and I think I refer to it as if then, right? If only I had this, then I would be that. And if then, if that never gets you anywhere, right? It's, it's what does that process look like to get to the outcome that you want? And curious from your perspective, when you start working with some of these, these founders, do they clearly know the objective of what they're, they're trying to accomplish? Or do they just kind of said throwing stuff and hey we're going to grow because i find a lot of the time there's not a clear goal of what even if it's a short-term mid-term goal of, of what they're they're trying to get to and if you're not running towards something it's really hard to to get there so i'm curious from your perspective with all the folks that you work with you know are, is, is that one of the common themes or what do you find a lot when when people just start working with you 
Yeah, that's a fabulous question. So there's a couple of things we've seen and within our, our tribe of founders who are, you know, uh, get access to our programs so that are admitted to our programs, to our community, um, they have to have a clear vision of where they want to go and what impact looks like. That is the, the base level because otherwise it creates too much noise. And I think all of us have been a part of quote unquote communities that the intention is to serve founders, but there's, it's kind of come one, come all. And the issue is if you're trying to serve everybody, you're serving nobody. And so for us, when we looked at, well, who do we best serve? We knew that we would best serve women entrepreneurs who were building scalable companies. Um, but for us, scale is redefined. Like we're redefining narratives of what scale look like by not saying it's not just like freaking unicorn. Like let's, I'm, I'm so over that word because there's a very small percentage of companies that are going to ever get there. But I think you can have a $10 million company or a $50 million company, hell, a $5 million company and profitable. And I think that's damn awesome. Like that's super awesome. So I would say that the people we tend to gravitate and are become a part of our tribe are very clear on where they want to go and impact. What they typically need help on and why they come to us is that it's not, it's typically not quantified for how are you going to get there? And when you're in an early stage company, and even if you were, you know, in, in the early millions, sometimes that clarity around, well, how are we going to get from point A to point B? That's really, really hard when you're trying to do all these different things. And so what we see the most with founders is like they have these big visions for things. But when we say, OK, well, let's break down. What are your traction goals now for the quarter for end of year? And it's it's which is timely. It's like New Year's resolutions and people are like, oh, I'm going to lose weight. I'm like, OK, well, how much? 50 pounds, whatever it is. OK, cool. How are you going to get there? They'll just put out a number and then not really say, well, what are you going to eat? How much of it? How often are you? How much water are you going to drink? How, how many steps are you going to take? How many you know hours or minutes are you going to work out per day? And that's what we see very often with startups and how they're breaking down traction and attribution is that's lacking. They have the visions, they might have the goals, but they're not really broken down in a way that is attainable. They're just saying, hey, we're going to get to 100,000, you know, you know, by the end of the quarter. Cool. Tell me, how are you going to get there? And it's very vague. They're very lofty. And we're like, huh, okay, cool. So you're going to do these pop-ups. Well, how many pop-ups? And then how much are you expecting on average to get from each of those? And that's where we see the biggest hurdle often is that attribution is not broken down. And there's no silver bullet to this, right? It's like, if you fundraise, you know, a lot of investors like we know early stage projections are bullshit. There's no you can't guarantee you're going to hit five million when you have no historical data to prove that it's going to happen. It's more of a compass. It's more of a logical step by step. Here's how we're approaching it to try to get there. And I think the same thing when you're, you know, in those early stages and don't have a ton of revenue or past performance to go off of It's saying, here's how we're thinking through it. And here's how we're going to get there. And here's how we're going to hold ourselves accountable to hitting those metrics or at least, you know, cutting the fat so we can try something new by quantifying it with KPIs. That is what we see is the biggest bottleneck 
for startups is that they have the big lofty goals, they have the vision, but oftentimes they're not getting into, well, how the hell are we going to make that happen? Yeah, so, so true. So good. And even going back to your unicorn, I'm, I'm with you, right? I had a, a VC on not too long ago on the podcast, Eva. She's been on a couple of times. She's awesome, by the way. And I said bootstrap or a raise and knowing that she's a VC. And we kind of got into the discussion at the end of the day. She's like, if you want to be a billion dollar company, you have to raise. There's just no ways around it. You have to get the scale. I'm like, exactly. But there's Everybody doesn't have to be, to your point, a billion dollar company, right? And that's why I focus my business on just getting people to 10 million, right? You get to 10, which is really, really good. Getting to a million is really good. But getting to 10, it just opens up all the doors. You can fundraise, right? You can sell part of your company. You could probably live really comfortably off of, of 10 million and reinvest. And do. So anyway, that's kind of my, made my mission to get to 10. And yeah. what's what's interesting is kind of the stats, what I think you just talked about is, you know, one out of 10 or 10% get to a million in revenue. And then only one out of 100 get to 10 million. But if you can get to a million in revenue, man, I'm I'm convinced that every one of those companies should be able to get to 10 if they execute, have the plan, right, or an intentional about about how they're Mm. doing it. It just they get caught in founder, what I call founders capacity, right? They're still doing everything. They haven't figured out who to delegate other stuff to. And uh, that's just, I think it's an execution problem. So, yeah. And, you know, I think you bring up a really good point because, you know, it's, it's really hard to, and I empathize with founder. I'm a founder myself. I empathize is that how do you know what to do if you've never done it, or you might not have the examples around you? Because the one thing that I will say in the startup space is there's so many, there's so much smoke and mirrors. Again, context for me is everything. Context matters. Context matters. So, so often, one of the things in particular I see early stage companies doing is they're, I'm like, oh, well, walk me through which, you know, what are some of the traction strategies you're currently testing with? When you're early stage and let's say you're even pre 100, like six figures, I think, I personally think ads are the waste, biggest waste of time, biggest waste of time. And I would say 9.9 times out of 10, founders get burned on it. But because they're reading all these articles about, well, this company did this and this is what they got in return. But what they don't tell you is what stage was that company at? How much revenue did they already have? Who's funding that? And so there's so much. So I can empathize with with founders in that regard um, in terms of, well, how do we get there? How do I know what to focus on? And actually it's, and I'm sure Eva's very fabulous and a great investor, but I would actually, you know, challenge this idea that you can only become a billion dollars by fundraising. And again, this is from the position, we all have our own self-interest and incentives. It is in the best interest of an investor to tell you that because they want to get a piece of it. And they probably truly believe that. But I look at the MailChimps of the world. I think of the Spanx of the world. Those things happen. But from a math perspective, the majority of companies won't reach a billion. It's like the 99, 1% rule, right? Like that's that's basically what it is. And even when you look at investors, they only fund a certain amount, less than 1% of companies. They represent a lot, a large part of the GDP, let's be honest. But even when they invest in companies, they only expect a third of their portfolio to actually return something. So even if they invest in you, they're like, mm, let's see if you can actually make it work. And so I 
It's a numbers game. They don't care. They just want to see what is going to actually, you know, end up working out. So I say all this because I think it's important for founders to get a very clear on where are you trying to go? What is your vision of impact look like? And A, what path works best for me? Because if you're looking at the, the VC path, it's fabulous. It's a great vehicle if it's the right for you and aligned with your vision. The reason the guys at MailChimp didn't go that route, because they're like, we want to scale at this way. And they had a really freaking great exit to Intuit recently. Multi, multi-billion, and they own 100% of their company. I will say they screwed over their, their employees. I think we need to revisit that. But I digress. Um and when we look at the actual numbers from, let's actually even separate male founders and female founders. The biggest issue for women founders particularly is that we only have 4% of total business revenues because 90% of us haven't even broken the 100,000 mark in, in revenue. And only 1.7% of us have ever gotten beyond a million. I'm grateful that I've done it. But I looked around when I was in rooms and I'm like, why aren't there more of us here? Because it is proven that when women have the right resources behind us, our companies are more profitable. They just are. They perform better. And so the, the math is not mathing. <laughs> it's not mathing. But part of that is that there is just not a lot of transparency in the startup space and entrepreneurial space around how did a company get there? I love this. Brene Brown talks about this, where she's like, we love to talk about when someone was down and when they got up. But we not never talk about how, what was that process? And that's what we need to start leaning into when it comes to entrepreneurship, because I don't really fucking care when you won. I want to know how you did it. No, I think you're so right. And the advice we get is, well, they got a billion dollar exit. Go find out how they did. I'm like, it doesn't work like that, right? I mean, there's certain companies they were going to go no matter how much you try to screw it up. And kudos to the folks that do grow those unicorns. And But that's not a repeatable model. None of that's a repeatable model as you're trying to, to grow. And, you know, one of the things that I am excited about is I think, We've never been like 08, 09. Some of the best companies came out of that because it was, you know, out of necessity. I think we're there again. I think the digital transformation, the remote workforce is pushing and accelerating a lot of things that were already in motion. So, I mean, if you're a small company looking to compete with a bigger company, now's the time to go after them, right? Because the bigger they are, especially in the B2B space, the more siloed they are, the more inefficient they are. They still want people to go back to the office. You figure out a better go-to-market model that's much more efficient, digitally driven, based on experience, you're going to win those battles. So I do yeah. think that the opportunities now, but how do we give the people the right tools, right, in order to, to succeed, right? I mean, yeah. that's the whole thing. We want more people in the startup world or the small business world and control their own destiny versus... You know, because one of the, the saddest things I think is, and I've been there, is when you go on your own and you're making less money and working twice as many hours as you were in the corporate world. And right, it's not you're not controlling you. I'm guessing it's probably a little more satisfaction. I can speak from experience that yes, but it gets much better when you actually can control your destiny and you get your time back. I mean, I think time is the one thing that we're hopefully all fighting for to get more of and that's what we're doing it but yeah i mean that's again better late than ever i'm committed to try to help as many people get and control their own destiny because mm -hmm. i think the world's going to be a better place the, the more folks we yeah. have that can that can do that so yeah and i think a lot of this is about you know the founders taking the time to educate themselves right 
Um, and, you know, there are so many great resources, whether it's this podcast, um, if you're just starting out, there's, you know, my first million, they're awesome. They have a newsletter as well, The Hustle. Um, they come up, they do a really great job of identifying trends in the market and giving you ideas and connecting the dots. And then let's say if you have some expertise or, you know, know-how in that space, you can run with that. You have indie hackers, you have get shit done. We have our own podcast. So even for the ones where maybe you're a little further along beyond the idea stage, you know, our podcast, we specifically talk to women founders who have scaled beyond a million for our main podcast episodes and how they did it. There's, like I said, this podcast, there um, is business breakdowns I really love. So there's just so much out there to help you connect the dots. And I, I think one of the things I see often with, you know, you know, founders is when we get so caught up and wrapped up in our companies. And I'll tell you right now, I have to constantly pull myself up and say, hey, stop getting stuck in the weeds where we isolate ourselves from our networks. We stop doing things that we really love, because let me tell you, there is a time and place for you to put in lots of hours, but that's not sustainable. You need to create space for you to not do things that are just about your business. So find time to learn, find time to do shit that has nothing to do with your business. It's like, for example, I like doing salsa dancing. I like doing arts and crafts. So whatever it is for you, I can tell you the best ideas and the best like strategy for me comes when I'm not actually working in the company. And when I'm giving myself space to learn and grow beyond just being in the company day to day. And I think that's where founders tend to harm ourselves is when we just want this thing to push it up the hill that you need to take pauses just as much um, so you can learn and and rejuvenate. That's super important. And I think it's over it's overly glossed. We gloss over it very often. Yeah. No, I think you're so right. And that's one of the reasons I've kind of rebranded this podcast again. You'll be one of the first of the BizZoner 360 podcast because it is, it's everything, right? It's the personal, it's the wellness, it's the productivity. I just had a uh, former NBA player turned author um, talking about your your product is your process or the process is the product. And, you know, I'm guilty of it. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are guilty of working those 12 to 14 hours, but you're not intentional about it or you don't have a process to get your really strategic or deep thinking work done, right? So if you can knock that out and then take care of the stuff that email, other things, still a lot of stuff going on, but we're not intentional about <laughs> getting the important stuff done first. And it's just mm. 16 hours a day, just hustle, hustle, hustle. And you know, yep. history and data shows us that you know, diminishing returns on how productive you actually are after a certain amount of time. So I'm trying to get better. That's one of my New Year's resolutions is to have that productivity time built in. And then whatever else I can play get time. done, it'll be, you know, a bonus for the day. Yeah, yeah have exactly. some play time. And I love that you like I, I actually this the, that you're you're interviewing a former NBA player. I actually get the most inspiration, not in the entrepreneurial space. I actually am very rarely inspired by, because when you're in your own market, it's like, it's silos. You're stuck in the same, like recurring conversations. I get, for me personally, I get the most inspiration from sports and entertainment and seeing how they're rolling out. Like the, 
like as as much as the NFL is problematic, they have a very interesting way that they engage the NBA even better. Like how they engage with their audiences, entertainment. How do artists engage with their audience and go to market? A lot of them had to be scrappy, like Chance the Rapper. He didn't have a late. He doesn't have a label. You know, it's like they, these are go to market playbooks, and it doesn't have to be limit limited to watching other companies. Wherever you feel the most inspired, like I get inspired when I watch like surfers. <laughs> from a wellness perspective, because they literally have to wait for the wave and then they get knocked down and they get back up. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is amazing to watch. So I, I think I, I love this point you're making around wellness and pr- providing time and space for you to create like my two words for this year that are really big are intention and imagination. And it's being intentional about how I show up, what we do, how we do it, but also providing space to imagine how it can be done in a way that aligns with where we're trying to go. Because so often, um, I always tell people my first book is going to be called Fuck the Should Be's. And we should on ourselves. <laughs> I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And it's like, no, you should be doing what nurtures you because you can do all the tactics, the strategies, the whatever. But if you're not okay, none of this matters. This company, like, and your your company doesn't need to be dependent on you long term. Like, I truly believe there needs to be a point that you allow yourself to get fired so you can continue doing the things that you love. But you need to in the early stages, you are the heart of this business. And that's why it's always so disheartening when I see founders literally just because they're exhausted and burnt out or they're shooting themselves, just handing over all their hard work at such a literally pennies pennies yeah yeah i'm with you i love the imagination i hadn't thought about that but it's so true and it kind of reminds me of one of the things that I, again i'm guilty of or was guilty of is, is not thinking big enough and I, I don't know if it's our education system where everything's kind of built on incremental we just get a little bit better it get a little bit better but where i've been inspired by some folks in different industries like i try to get a cross-section of you with you know, get shit done. We need more people to sit. We just got to get this done. But people don't think big enough. And if you're only thinking incremental, then you're not thinking, well, how do we kind of break the mold or be more intentional about some of the things that we're doing? So think bigger. And some of the the, the, the best guests that I've had didn't know any better, right? <laughs> they kind of broke the mold of how you go to market because they didn't know that's not the way you're supposed to do it. And I think, at least for me, I'm guilty of you know, use that imagination more and think two steps bigger than where you were and work towards that versus just the, just a little bit better. I don't, I don't know your thoughts on that, but I, I, tr- I totally agree. And, you know, there is like the, the, the wise man knows he knows nothing. And I think that the tough thing though, is there's this expert culture we have now, everyone's an expert. And I think that's where innovation dies. And it's not to say don't, don't own what you know, of course, but also know that there's always more. Um, and I think there's one of my favorite things that I do. I have nieces and nephews who are between the ages of two and 15 or almost 15. I love spending time with them because adults, uh, the way we socialize adults it is a killer of imagination. Just think about when you had big ideas when you were younger and how many adults shut it down. And it's because that's what they were taught to do. Oh, yes, you're being unrealistic. You're, da, da, da. but some, it's like, I love 
I love listening to kids like my nieces and nephews and see how they dream big. I never tell them they can't do something ever. I make sure that we have some guardrails around safety, (laughs) no, but, you know, emotional and physical safety. But I actually just think and see how they think about things and I let them ask questions. And it actually teaches me to be like, oh, my God, how can I show up and allow myself to think that big again? And I would even us as adults listening, be very careful and think about how we are kind of projecting the bad behavior adults did to us onto them in terms of limiting imagination. So I think there's so much opportunity to tap into everyone had that little kid, things that you love to do that got you excited and getting back to that person and saying, what was that thing? Like for me, I was a very creative kid. So I know when I'm doing productive things or enjoyable things that aren't work related, I always kind of say, okay, what would my family used to call me Alley Cat. That was my name as a uh, nickname as a kid. What would Alley Cat want to do? She wants to dance. She wants to draw. She wants to paint. She wants to write poetry. She wants to do. And so I let myself do those things. And it's so interesting because the best shit I do in my business always comes from when I do those things. So I absolutely agree with you. It's like that step by step and of giving yourself the grace to do that, I think also is it requires you to give yourself space to imagine. And that means you can't be spending every goddamn minute of your day on your business. And I'm saying this to you because I'm speaking to myself. (laughs) I'm also speaking to me. So (laughs) just a reminder, (laughs) just a reminder to me too, because I had the same problem, the same problem. I've been building companies since I was 19 and it's so easy to overwork and you have the big vision. You just want to get there. But adding more time into something, like you said, diminishing returns isn't going to make it better. It actually probably makes it worse. Yeah. And two, I mean, there's no business, right? In the conventional wisdom space, you building what you've built, right? Get the company called Get Shit Done with that brand that's just changing the way people, especially women, think about business and how you can help them. I mean, that that's not the normal path. Even the entrepreneurship, that's not the normal path. And so I think we need more people thinking bigger and, and talking about guests that really weren't in the, I guess he is in the startup space, but Jesse Cole, right? He bought a minor league baseball team called the Savannah Bananas. And he's completely turned it upside down. He's changed the rules about the way things are due, built it from the fan experience out. And there's no bad ideas. And it's now one of the most successful minor league franchises that there is. And, you know, he wears a yellow tux everywhere. And even on the interview on the podcast, he had his yellow tux on, but he, again, it was just why do I have to follow the same path? It doesn't necessarily work. It's incremental. If I do this completely different, it may not work, but you know, am I going to be any worse off if, if it, if it doesn't. Right. So yeah, I love hearing and getting different perspectives from folks. Yeah. And I, and I, I agree with what was it? It's banana Jesse from the bananas. What is it called? So Savannah, Savannah, Savannah bananas. I love that. <laughs> And Look him up. He was in the Wall Street Journal, and I, uh, it, it's just a really interesting case study. I'm definitely going to look that up. I love that. And I would say for, for me, I actually get the most, I mean, I, I think that the best companies that make the most long-term impact, the best inspiration I get and, and the best companies that have ever been built are the ones that imagine beyond. Think of Disney. Think of uh, the, the Wall Street Journal. Think of Amazon. Think of... There's the ones that have longevity, legacy. Apple 
it is literally the most valuable company that has ever been created, ever. Because they imagine, they imagine big enough. So I, I absolutely agree with that. And we have to give ourselves just working and overworking to achieve certain goals is not going to get us there. I think I read something, and this is also privilege because this company's big enough, but um, as problematic as Mark Zuckerberg is, you know, he spends 60% of his time just thinking and asking questions and exploring. And I think that's, you know, when you can get to a place, maybe you're at a place in your company, you can't spend all that time, but at least per, at least 10%. You know, I try to do at least 20% um, because I know that just by doing is not enough for us to scale our vision of impact. It's not. Right. And you're going to get caught, right? Or you get complacent. I mean, history shows us all those companies that didn't continue to innovate get run over or run out or they fall down the path and missed another opportunity. So yep. no, I Kodak. think you're right. There's only a handful of companies that do exactly. Kodak right? is a great example. When you feel like, you know, um, there was such a big missed opportunity. It was that digital was coming up and the uh, founder thought, well, we know we've been doing it this way. And then they got pummeled. They still haven't re yeah. fully recovered. No, no, exactly right. And I, I do want to be respectful of your time. We're starting to run low, but I do want to touch on one last subject because I think we share a passion for it. And it's it's the founder's why or the business owner's why or your own personal why. And I'd love to get your your take on that. I've heard you speak passionately about it before. And we've touched on a little bit today, but yeah, I'd love to get, yeah, let's close it out with your your thoughts to folks on on finding and, and pursuing that why. Yeah. Do you mean for... The, the business? For the business, yeah. Yeah. So whenever we, we're very, very white glove. So every founder who is a part of our programs, a part of our community, we personally talk to them. Personally. And there's a reason for it because we want to maintain our culture and the magic we create with it. And one of the things we always ask is, well, what is your North Star? Like if you could look at today and you could see success in your, what impact looks like. What does that look like for you? And sometimes they get stuck on the business goals and we're like, no, 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 your North Star has nothing to do with the, the business revenue user, whatever. What is impact? And when you can truly answer that question in a way that's pure to you and your vision and not shooting on yourself and comparing yourself to other companies. And this is where I, I find that companies are dead on arrival is when they start trying to be this comparable to the other competitors in the market. I don't even say competitors. I say players because I think there's the, the, the killer of innovation in entrepreneurship is when everyone is always competing. And it's like, there's enough room for all of us. And when you start competing at that level, it's like, um, blue ocean strategy where they're like, there's bloody waters and then there's blue waters. If you have the courage to swim out and be authentic and unique enough, you don't need to be in bloody waters where you're price gouging and you become like an Uber or a Lyft that all the value is really based on price and who has the lower price. If you have the courage to swim out and imagine enough to say, this is what we're going to be over here. And I think that the way we do that is when the founder has the courage and the sense of worthiness, self-worthiness to say, what I envision matters. 
And we're going to stay true to this and not, and it's so hard to do, but not get caught up in the hoopla of what everybody else is doing. Yeah, there's tactics and strategies you don't have to reinvent the wheel on. But the moment you kill the vision is the moment you start to be something you're not because you want to keep up with the Joneses. So I would say for the why in entrepreneurship, I don't care what stage you're at, is you always go back to that North Star of why do we exist and what does our vision of impact look like? And then we make decisions from that place because every time I fucked up and fucked myself over in my companies and have gotten to, to like so tired and exhausted is because I started trying to be something we weren't. And it was out of alignment with what we actually cared about. So that would be my advice to founders is always checking in on that and making sure that you are doing things within the company that aligns with that. And you will know when it's out of alignment because you're typically exhausted. You are typically disenchanted with what you're doing. And it just feels shitty to show up to do the work. That's when you know you're not doing it. it you're not doing it in a way that is truly aligned with what your vision was. So it, it's hard when, you know, we're in a, everything's always on. It's hard to take ourselves out sometimes and not get influenced. But that's where the work truly is to say, nope, we're going to do it this way because that's where impact looks like for us. And I mean, there this has been proven with companies like Netflix when Blockbuster tried to take them out. Blockbuster, because they were so fixated on Netflix, took themselves out. And who's still around and still killing the market? Netflix. Because they're like, we're going to stay in our lane. We're not going to try to do what you do. And Blockbuster took themselves out because they were competing where Netflix was imagining and creating impact. Yeah, so good and so true. And, you know, this is one of those areas that it took me a little while to come around to because I always used to believe if you execute and out execute, you can grow a business, right? And I, I still think that's true. But what I've really come to believe is to have that the why and the North Star, because as you start to scale and bring employees on, they have to believe in that as well. If they don't, it's going to be really hard to convince the customers of that mm -hmm. mission. And I do think we're going to see we are seeing more and more being able to win, right? With an average product, but a, a passionate mission for the company. And it could be something super simple. It doesn't have to be end world hunger for people to get behind it, but they want to be a part, kind of like what you're building with, with your tribe. People, I'm mm -hmm. guessing, are all, all in on that. And if you started yeah. to bring folks, employees in that weren't in on it, or you weren't clear on what that vision was, it'll cause a disconnect. And again, you could probably out-execute and do it, but you're not going to get the growth unless you had everybody going in this, the same direction. I think you have to work twice as hard if you, you don't get that right. And I, I truly believe, like, I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, what gets conflated though is that we're thinking we have to execute and out execute on everything, but no, to get shit done, you need to do it in, in, with intention. And that means, no, you're executing and out over executing on things that you're the best at doing. And when founders and startups and entrepreneurs are really putting themselves at a disadvantage is when they're trying to be good at things that they're not good at, instead of focusing on the things that we're the best in the market to do this. And I'm going to, we're going to keep our eyes focused here. And look, I've done it. I've done it. Where we're like, oh, we're going to roll out this thing. And did we really want to do it? No, we were just responding to the market because we weren't the best to do that. Instead, we have to do this every quarter where our team looks at 
we actually talk to our, our tribe often and we get feedback on what do they think we're the best at? What do we suck at? What does our team love to do? And what do we hate to do? And every time we do this exercise, the things that we consistently hear we suck at and that we hate to do as a team, we get it out of our way. <laughs> get it out of here. We don't want it. We, because this idea of like working on your weaknesses, no, focus on your strengths. Get better at those things. That is how you own your space. That is how you become the best player in that regard. Not trying to outcompete or over-execute on shit that you don't want to do and you're not best at anyway. Yeah, so, so good. And again, what you're doing is so inspirational. I really appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing it with, with our audience. And I'm sure we're going to get a bunch of folks that are going to come check out your content, the podcast, your company. What's uh, what's the best way for for folks to connect with you? Yeah, so I, I'm doing a personal detox from the the interweb. So most of our postings are usually my team. <laughs> I'm like, I can't do social media anymore. Um, but if you want to follow along with our content, so we have our podcast and then we send out a weekly traction briefing. So this breaks down a deep dive of those conversations with the tactics, tools, templates that were used that you can't get in the audio. Um, you can go to shegetshitdone.com slash join and it breaks down how those companies were able to scale um, and we focus very much so on the how. So you might listen to things and you're like, wait, wait, go back. How did they do that? Um, that's where we focus a lot of our time and energy. Um, so that's the best way to connect with us. And yeah, if you want to shoot our team a, a, a note, you can always chat with us um, on our website as well. And we're, we're, we're happy to have a convo. Awesome. Awesome. And again, love to check in with you in another maybe six months, nine months, 12 months to see how the, the mission's going. But uh, again, thank you for for what you're doing. And like I said, it's been an inspiration. I told you offline that, you know, some of the things I want to do with my brand are going to be much more direct and to the point and say, right, yes, <laughs> I don't I'm think so it's excited. working because X and Y. So, you know, this is you help motivate me to get to get that moving this year. Oh, so and we so need you. It. We so need you to do that. We need your voice and to call it as it is. I don't think we can. I think of it as relationships. If we're not willing to call out the bullshit, are we really in a good relationship? And I think we're all in a relationship in this ecosystem together. And we need to be honest. So, no, I'm really excited for what you have what have coming up. Awesome. Well, thank you, Alex, and good luck and continued success. And let us know when you come off the, the interweb detox. It's probably not a bad thing. I've never got super deep into it, so I haven't had to detox yet, but I, but I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you.